Today's scripture comes from Acts 27, verses 27 through 44. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, about midnight the sailors suspected that we were nearing land. So they took surrounding soundings and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took soundings again and found fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and set it adrift. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. In the morning, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they had planned to run the ship ashore if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied the steering oars, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck and remained unmovable, but the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to ju jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. We've all been there before, hours, days, or even years uh, into a project or an effort that just starts to feel like a losing one. Uh, you just start getting buried under, uh, no matter what you do, try to work your way out of it, work harder, uh, try to enlist other help, try to outsource help. No matter what you do, um, things just keep going south. Uh, to the point that even uh, winning or success um, starts to be very different than what you first imagined. Uh, you almost have to redefine what winning looks like to get out of some of these messes we've found before. And, and so 
we really, we really kind of come to a point of trying to decide, um, when do we just give up? When do we just call it quits? When do we just cut our losses and, and try to figure out what's the best that we can do from here? Now, this looks different in a lot of different circumstances, and so we approach it differently, and we all start to do math in our head. And y'all might be familiar with this particular algorithm. It's called, uh, what am I even doing here? (laughs) It's called, uh, why am I even wasting my time with this? It's the equation that we come to to try to figure out when do we quit? When is it time to just cut our losses? When is it time to to really just kind of do the best we can, maybe not even break even, but maybe just uh, limit the amount of the depth that we've sort of uh, shoveled ourselves into at that point. And and like I said, this math is different in all sorts of different circumstances. And so uh, maybe if it's a game or if it's a sport that you're playing and uh, you're down 55 points to nothing and, uh, and you come to a point of trying to figure out what are we even doing here, Maybe the, the, the idea at that point, the equation's more about maybe winning's not the only outcome. Maybe it's about doing your best. Maybe it's about trying really hard. Maybe it's about good sportsmanship. You begin to think a little bit differently about what's the best you can do in this moment. Uh, maybe if it's about investing, uh, maybe you think about cutting our losses while we can and letting our winnings ride, try to limit the amount of damage that we have, or uh, maybe even in relationships. Uh, Maybe we're in relationships that are unhealthy and they seem to kind of take more away from us than we're able to kind of put into them. And and so we we sort of do balance of relationships, of finding out if this relationship is one that that fits with the other relationships in my life or fits with my goals and my purpose that God's given me. And uh, we begin to sort of think about sort of our social or emotional health and maybe a relationship's one that we kind of constantly evaluate where we come into that. But then there's other times there's there's other storms that sort of brew up. There's, there's moments of life where, where it just feels like no matter what we do, uh, we just seem to be drifting further and further away from God. Or maybe much like the disciples, as we talked about last week when Jesus calmed the storm, maybe those disciples are really just kind of asking the same questions we are. Uh, God, do you even notice me? Uh, God, are you even there? And so when our faith begins to be the part that we call into question. When our faith begins to be the one that we really bump up against the questions of uh, just how long can I go? Or why does everything seem to be going wrong? Or what have I done? And we just seem to keep losing and losing. At, at, At a point in our faith, we always hit that point of when do I just quit? And so for the last several weeks, we've been wrestling with that very question of when the madness of life, when the storms of life start pushing up against our faith in such a way that it feels like our faith begins to erode or crumble away, what are the methods that we have? What are the life rafts that we have? What are are the things that we can do uh, to find new energy, to kind of prop that back up, to to find all the reasons why, to remember the promises that God has given us uh, of why we begin to push forward in our faith at other times when before we might have crumbled. And so um, in the first week of this series, we looked at the book of Psalms, and we looked at rejoicing always, even in the midst of difficulty. 
In the second week, we looked at loving others. We looked at the story of Naomi and Ruth in the book of Ruth from the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, praying continually, praying always. And we looked at uh, the disciples in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm in the Gospel of Matthew. But today, we face maybe the biggest storm there is. In fact, one where it seems like we're not just trying to ride out the waves, but we've already crashed on the shore. Uh, Things have gone from uh, the question of just how bad they can go to, oh, it can get a lot worse. It has moved beyond what some of our worst nightmares have been. And what happens when our faith begins to be the thing that's swallowed up, when it gets bashed up against the rocks, when it gets shipwrecked uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and we feel like all the purpose that God has given us up to that point has just gotten beaten apart by the waves and the wind of life. What can we do in that point in our life where it's so easy to give up? And so on this final week, we talk about the power of giving thanks rather than giving up. And it sounds so easy, but really the practice of gratitude and thanks really comes into its true power when we begin to see it being used in moments where it makes no sense. Where everything else has become falling apart and yet we see the power of thanks. Of bringing deliverance and hope and salvation in some of the darkest moments of our life. So what is giving up versus giving thanks look like in our scripture? So we find ourselves in uh, one, of the, uh, one of the more uh, sort of dramatic events in Paul's life. So Paul has been arrested by the authorities um, on very, same, very similar charges to what Jesus was arrested for. Uh, stirring up trouble. Preaching sermons that are blasphemous. How dare we suggest that, that Jesus was resurrected? How, how dare we suggest that Jesus was the Son of God? Or that there's hope and that there's life? A new revelation of God being with us and walking with us. And so Paul was imprisoned and put on trial. Now, the difference between Paul and Jesus is Paul has a citizenship that's a trump card over the citizenship that Jesus had. So as Paul goes to trial, as he faces the governor, as he faces the uh, imperial administrator at the time, he appeals to his citizenship. As a Roman citizen, he has a right to make an appeal to the emperor himself, to plead his case. And in this case, it's not a plea at all. Rather, it's a sermon. Every person Paul shows up in front of, he doesn't beg for his life. He starts preaching for their life <laughs> to the point to where he doesn't need to talk to Festivus. He didn't need to talk to Festus. He didn't need to talk to Agrippa. He wanted to go straight to the emperor. And so King Agrippa says, you want to appeal to the emperor? Then to the emperor you will go. And sends him to Rome on a ship. Now, this ship isn't uh, the, the same kind of quick journey 
that, that many of us might expect. This, this is a journey that started out in uh, the wrong season uh, with, with other criminals, other prisoners, with sailors and soldiers that uh, maybe aren't focused on getting there safely, but, but they need to get there quickly. And so as they take off, the weather has already been terrible uh, to a point that they've had to stop several different places along the journey to try to wait out different storms. And even at a point to where they were trying to make the decision whether they spend the entire winter in one particular port. Now, Paul seems to think that this would be a good idea. Let's not risk it. But everybody else, the soldiers and the sailors, they say, let's push on. And from the moment that they start sailing in this last leg, it just goes from bad to worse. The weather just begins brewing up. It just begins slamming their boat. The boat starts coming apart in different places. And for over two weeks, this storm is unbreakable. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't diminish in any way, and it just continues to wage on their ship, but also on their mindset as they just get worn down. Now, the disciples didn't even make it to the other side of the lake before they started crying out to God, right? But after two weeks of this, Paul has a vision. And the angel that comes to him in a vision guarantees him, promises him, that they'll all make it out of this alive, but their ship won't. They're going to be shipwrecked. And so as Paul is carrying this promise of what God's given him, he comes back up on the top of the deck with a situation that is just quickly spiraling out of hand uh, to the point to where now it's just every person for themselves. That those that were told to go lower the anchor, they go up and they start lowering a lifeboat and just lying to everybody else about it. We're getting out of here. We're cutting our losses. It's time for us to quit. We are jumping in this lifeboat and saving ourselves. I don't know what's going to happen to the rest of y'all, but we are out of here. Now, Paul, he snitches on him, tattles on him, tells the centurion what's going on, and he says, if these guys get in the lifeboat, not only is this lifeboat not going to be very lively for them at all, it's going to seal their own fate, but it's going to seal your fate too. The only way we get through this is we get through it together. Because promise me, God has told me that we are all going to get through this. And so the centurion believes him. And the soldiers go, and in the midst of a storm, that for weeks on end has just harassed them and has just damaged their psyche and their ships and everything around them, they cut all the lifeboats free. And now it's just them in the storm. Now it's just them in the promise of what this prisoner, Paul, has told them of saying, we're all going to get through this, just trust me. And so there's nowhere else. There's no other life raft, there's no life preserver, there's no other hope other than just over the side of the ship. But in that moment, in the moment where it seems so easy to give up, when it seems so easy to, to just cash it out, 
Paul instead gives thanks. And he does something that makes no sense at all. He gathers everybody together, 276 of them, and shares a meal with them. Brings some bread and says, we have not had anything to eat in over two weeks. Take some food. Take a moment. And he gives thanks for that meal. And he begins to eat the bread. And it says that the other sailors and uh, the other people on the ship, they begin to take the bread. And they begin to eat for themselves. And it says that they were encouraged. And just that small act of thankfulness, and just that small act of a meal, everything seems to turn around for them in that moment. And for the first time, it says that they were encouraged. And they rise up from that meal, they rise up from that moment of giving thanks, and all of a sudden they start thinking together, and they start moving together, and they start coming up with a plan of saying, I think we might actually be able to get through this. And it says that they all get together and they all start throwing the wheat off the side of the boat. And I think it's fair to say that they probably start throwing everything else that seemed useless up to that point as well. As light as we can possibly make this ship to avoid the rocks that are in the deeper waters, let's try getting it as, as light as we can and at least point it in the direction to where we might have a hope. And it says that right when they began to see some land in which they might experience some deliverance, some hope, a little bit of joy on the horizon, they crashed just short of it. Completely stuck, completely immobile into the fact that the waves and the storm continued to just keep crashing up against the ship, breaking it apart in pieces. And so they're trying to figure out how to get to the other shore, but now the soldiers are thinking, man, now all the prisoners are going to be getting out. Maybe it's easier if we just kill all the prisoners now, prevent them from escaping, then we don't have to worry about them, and again, we can save ourselves. But look at what happened in the story. The first time, it was Paul. The first time it was Paul who had the vision, it was Paul who had the promise that God was going to deliver them. That put a stop to the life rafts, that kept them all together. But now this time it's the centurion. That hope that started from that giving thanks has become contagious. It's become an effort of realizing that they are all in this together. And it's the centurion that steps up this time and puts an end to it. That, that makes the effort of keeping them all together again. And so they come up with a plan of how to get everybody to shore. And finally, for the first time in a moment, they all have a common direction that they're swimming towards or floating towards or doing whatever they can to get to the shore to end up wet, rolled over, washed about, covered in sand and grit. But every single one alive and delivered exactly the way that God said that they would be. The promises of God are something that are so much stronger than the storms that we face in this life. And sometimes by stepping in a moment and giving thanks, that one moment of gratitude, that one shift in our perspective helps us to realize that the promises of God, the eternal promises of God, are something that are so much more powerful than the temporary storms and the waves and the wind that we experience in our lives. 
the madness that rages about us, even for just a moment, longer than what we thought that we could last, gets swallowed up by the promise that God still has a purpose. God still has a plan for each and every one of us. Our faith is not built just for calm, sunny days. Our faith is not built just for moments in our life where everything is going smoothly. Our faith is built for shipwrecks. Our faith is built for grief. It's built for those moments of life where it seems like everything is coming apart at the seams. It's built for those moments in life where everything seems to get swallowed up. Our faith is meant to get rained on. It's meant to get tossed around in the storms. It's meant to go underneath the waves from time to time. But to still hear that the promise of God is something that is so much stronger than the storms that we face. And it all begins even with such a simple act of giving thanks. That small shift in the perspective that reminds us that God is with us. God still has a plan for us, and God will be with us on the other side of this. And that one light, that shift that we show, in that moment where gratitude and giving thanks seems seem so bizarre, becomes a testimony that's contagious for the world because the world needs to see that there's hope. It needs to see grace and mercy. It needs to see life in the midst of darkness and death. And it becomes to be something that's a light and a life that spreads. And from that one moment, Paul's journey became about something completely different. It became about a testimony that God was not only with him, but was with each and every one of those that survived that wreck. And a testimony that we still share today, that we give thanks in shipwrecks. And instead of giving up, we begin with giving thanks. And we have an opportunity today to share in that gift of thanks around a table where we share bread in a cup And we not only remember the promises that God has given us from the very beginning, but we celebrate how those promises still hold true in the storms and how those promises will deliver us in the days to come. Amen and amen.